week, I'm going to talk about two different misfit heroes, okay? And so, uh, once again, if you ever miss a week, you can go back on Spotify, Amazon, um, our website, and uh, iTunes, and you can always catch up. Uh, Everything is current and uh, available. Uh, And today, I want to talk about, we're going to start with Isaiah. We're going to start in the book of Isaiah, and then we're going to exit the Bible, and we're going to talk about somebody who's not in the Bible. That's a misfit hero. Okay, and so uh, how many remember Saturday morning cartoons? Like, they, they don't make them like they used to, right? I mean, they just, that, 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 that season has sailed. I remember, fr- I, remember, I remember Friday nights were TGIF with me, some Urkel, okay, some Family Matters, some uh, step, by, uh, step by Step, some, uh, Saved, I think Saved by the Bell was, was uh, part of TGIF at one point, or they were part of the Saturday morning, one of the two. Saturday morning, yeah. Um, and then you got to the Saturday morning cartoons and you had your whole laundry list and, and one of them was G.I. Joe, right? How many remember G.I. Joe? Okay, what was the saying at, at the end of G.I. Joe, right? Now you know and knowing is half the battle, right? It always, because it always ended with, with some type of, you know, G.I. Joe with the kiddos and like, you know, some car would come run, driving down the street and some kid would run out there and almost get hit and be like, whoa, little man. You've got to be careful. There's moving cars, and you could get splattered. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. And it always ended like that. Like, it always ended with some type of, like, public service announcement, right? And it always, always, always ended with, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle. So what is that? You know, it's it's interesting when you start thinking about that statement, knowing is half the battle. What is it? It presumably states that knowledge leads to proper action right? That if you know that if you run out into the middle of a a busy street, there's a chance you could get hit. Well, now you know. Can't say you didn't know. It's like, you know, the stove's hot. Don't touch it. Now you know. You shouldn't touch it. But we know (laughs) that there are people that no matter how much you say the stove is hot, they're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah, it is. They have to touch it. See, so half the battle is knowing. (laughs) The other half is doing. And so presumably that the statement is that, that knowledge leads to proper action, but we know that that doesn't always end the case. But in learning, that's what the goal is, is to learn so that we can put it into action. So where do we get our knowledge from? That is, I think, a, a pivotal question that we need to ask ourselves as Christians. Where do we get our knowledge from? Where do we get our information from? What shapes our thinking spiritually? What shapes our thinking culturally? What thinks are shaping politically and socially and academically? Because all, listen, we cannot compartmentalize knowledge in a biblical belief. Biblical belief should, should transcend every aspect of our life. If you go to college and what you learn in college, your, the, the knowledge of, of your belief system should infiltrate all of that because as we know, and this is not a PSA to the the college system, I think that if you go get higher education, bravo to you, bravo. I didn't, but I think it's great for those that do. And for those that don't, it's great too. There is no right way. You know, I think there's no right or wrong way. There is what's best for each individual person. But the the reality is, is that we know that, that sending our students off into college, and I've seen it time and time again, where a strong Christian would go into a college and they would get taught very liberal leaning ways and they would come out a different person than they were because, because knowledge didn't lead to action. Because knowledge of God stopped at head and not heart. 
And so when they went into the college system, they got another source of knowledge that conflicted with other knowledge, and it never transcended into action. And so the goal is that everything we do, and, and you can see the same thing about your friend groups. Well, oh, my friends won't change me. Yes, they will, if you allow them to. Because no matter how well your head knowledge is, if your heart knowledge isn't action living for Jesus in front of them, then eventually they will take, change you. And it won't be like overnight. You won't be like, oh, I love Jesus, raising hands. And then like the, that afternoon, you're like, oh my God, I hung out with the wrong people. And now I'm drunk. I don't know what happened. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, the, Casting Crowns has a, a great song called Slow Fade. And it is the absolute definition of what it means uh, to be pulled away from God by uh, culture and world and, and, and all of these things that we allow when we don't allow the knowledge to turn into action, which is that over time, little compromises. Oh, it's not that big of a deal if I do this because I, I'm strong enough of a Christian to, to, to do that or go there or say this. Next thing you know, it's a little by little chips away at us and, and we go, how did I get here? It's because knowledge stopped turning into action. Which led me to, to kind of this question, what happens when the church doesn't know how to be the church anymore? What happens, let's make it a little bit more independent because maybe that's a little bit too broad for most people um, because that, that's, a, that's a answer life's questions for the church, all of you right now. Like we can't do that. So let me ask you more individually, independently, what happens when the Christian doesn't know how to be a Christian anymore? What happens when we hear semblance of truth that doesn't actually have the power behind it. And I, I'm not going to stand up here and name names and, 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 and talk about pastors that I disagree with because that's wrong. Um, unless I absolutely disagree with them and think that they're speaking heresy, um, I would never do that. Uh, I'm not going to say one pastor is better than the other. I have ones that I like, just like you might have podcasts and pastors that you like to listen to. But the goal is, is that with everybody that we're listening to, are they speaking truth that will challenge us? I'll, I'll tell you what my prayer is. Every single time I, I pray uh, when it comes to me preaching. God, that you would use the words that will come out of my mouth, first and foremost, as a biblical standard. Has nothing to do with my opinion, first and foremost. Biblical standard that will encourage, equip, challenge, and change. That is my prayer every single time that I grab a microphone and I speak God's truth, is that I will encourage people, I will equip people, I will challenge you, which is the hard part, and I will help change your, your spiritual foundations closer to God. That's my, that's my heart every single time I uh, preach. It is not to make you feel good. Sometimes I will do that. Sometimes, and I, I, I presumably I like to tell you ahead of time, curl your toes in if you don't want your feet stepped on. Because sometimes you need to hear truth. It is not okay to hear fluff. I can give you the truth in love, though. I don't have to say, you horrible sinners, you're all going to hell. Like, <laughs> that does nobody any good. Oh, man, I want to turn to Jesus now. No, you just made me, you, here's the problem, is that we, 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 we kind of swim, swing the pendulum. It's like, either it's turn, burn, go, everybody's going to hell, or it's Jesus loves you no matter what you do. Both of those are wrong. <laughs> Jesus does not want you to go to hell. Hell was never designed for humanity. It was designed for the devil and those angels that fought, uh, fell with him. That's what hell was designed for. We choose our eternal 
resting place, so to say, by how we live our life and the choices that we make here on this earth. And so it's not that God uh, wants you to go to hell. It's not that God is, 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 is this evil empire going, heaven, hell, 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 heaven. Like, no, he's not swiping right or left. The reality is this, is that by the choices that we make and the decisions that we make to choose to follow him, we are, are choosing our way. But the, the opposite is this, is that too many churches are preaching a a a word that is not true, which is just, man, if you're just a good person, if you smile enough and love people, you'll get into heaven. You could be the greatest person on earth and still go to hell. That's the reality. The Bible says that there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ, the son. And that it is to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Well, when I choose to follow Jesus, there is a knowledge that attaches to the actions of my life that I choose to live differently than everybody else. And so it's not this, if you do the right things, if you make the, the checklist, then you get to go to heaven. No, it's, it's I choose to love Jesus and I choose to learn about him and to grab knowledge and, and put it into action. And, and that is what has happened with the church and that is what happens independently with Christians is that we don't seek truth enough. My encouragement always is, and I think more so now in this day and age, is that we need to be in our Bibles. Not just to, listen, podcasts are great. I listen to some. Pastors are great. I am one. I think we have a, a place in this world. Okay? But the Bible is full of scriptures that say, put the word in your life. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, people is, is Joshua. And the beginning book of Joshua says this. It says, it says, meditate on his word day and night that it may not leave you and that you would not depart from it, that you would have courage and strength to live this life. This is the idea. He, said, he says, uh, be, be of courage and strength multiple times throughout the book of Joshua, just in the first chapter. See, I like reading and studying and watching revolutionaries spiritually. I love it. I love, there's something that charges me up. It's like watching a good football game when you know that the team's going to come in and they're just going to like, ooh, they're going to they're going to beat down somebody. Oh, they're never going to win, and they come in and they, you know, anybody that beats Alabama, you know, most people in the SEC, they're like, yeah, they beat the the the, the Goliath. We, we cheer for the David because we don't expect them to win, but something rises up in them and says, I'm not going down without a fight. I love that mindset. Maybe it's because I'm five foot seven. I don't know. <sighs> like scrappy do. <sighs> going back to my Saturday morning cartoons, Scooby-Doo, baby. scrappy dabby doo you know, I love it because, because there's something inside of me that says, despite what the world says, I'm not going quietly. Don't make me start doing the Independence Day quotes, okay? You know, when the president gets up there and starts, no longer will 4th of July be an American holiday, but a holiday for the world. It's that rising up. We're going to defeat the enemy, no matter what somebody says. I'm going to go home and watch that movie now. See, what we do, here's, here's another good question that I, that I pose, that I kind of pose to myself throughout this week, is what or more of a statement, what we do when people have it wrong spiritually is important. It's not the pastor's job, it's not only the pastor's job, to correct bad theology. 
well, I'm not a student of, uh, I didn't go to college for that, Pastor. Neither did I. <laughs> it's okay. Neither did Jesus. Oh, he's, he's God. Okay, okay, I'll give you that one. Neither did his disciples. Matter of fact, his disciples were unlearned. They were worse than me. They were unlearned, uneducated men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They, 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 they had a job that, that they didn't go to college. They, 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 were, they were men of, of, of work with their hands. And, and, and Jesus just walks up to him and was like, it would be like me going up on the, on the construction site and saying, Rodney, follow me for the rest of your life. Drop, what you, drop your tools and let's go. That, that's what Jesus did. He literally came up into their workplace and said, follow me. And they said, okay. What? Stop with your, Peter was a businessman. Peter had multiple boats. He was a fisherman. He walks onto the, his boat and he's all like, Peter, follow me. Okay. Hey buddies, let's go. And he grabs like one other friend and like, let's go follow this dude named Jesus. And it may sound odd, but back in the day, that was actually kind of common in the spiritual world um, to have disciples, but to completely walk away from your life. Could you imagine going home, honey, I quit my job today. Because some of these men were married. Don't get it twisted. They were, there's not a bunch of single men running around chasing Jesus. <laughs> Babe, um, I did a thing today. What'd you do? Did you catch a lot of fish? Yeah, I quit my job. What? How are we going to eat? I'm going to become a fisherman of men. You're going to what? They were crazy. It was crazy. Like, think about that. That you come home and you're like, I'm going to go chase and follow this guy named Jesus till he tells me not to. And they go off. And they changed the world. And, and ultimately, these, these 12, which become 11, um, which, you know, actually in the book of Acts, verse, uh, in chapter 2, it says there's 120 in the room. Those, those group of people, they changed the world. And they are the ones that, that set the, the atmosphere and the foundation for what the modern church is today. I think we got it twisted along the way, though. We cannot be led astray by feel-good spiritual moments and people and just take the word of leaders, biblical or otherwise. Like, you know, some people believe in Oprah. Some people believe in Dr. Phil. Some people, listen, some people, and, and um, I've got to be very careful with what I say next because um, in my head I know what I would say if I was sitting down at a dinner table with you. And I want to make sure I don't say that necessarily over a microphone uh, because I, I, I want to be careful. Some, you know, um, there are some pastors, uh, there we go, I won't name names, that would rather make you feel good about life than rather challenge you with your spiritual walk. I'll name a book, not a person. You can do the math. Live your best life now is not biblical. Because what if my best life is to go do whatever I want to do? People, trust your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful, people. If I chased my heart, I would be in a mess. But the reality is, is this is the kind of advice that we get, and sometimes we get it over the pulpit. Now listen, I'm not saying that your heart can't be right. I'm saying that you need to take what your heart feels and run it through the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that you need to hear what pastors say and go, is that in the Bible? 
That's a good question to ask sometimes because some people like to preach opinion instead of scripture. And I need to ask, is that in the Bible? I'm not a fifth generation, fourth generation, second generation pastor. So I, my, my routine is, if it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. You can have an opinion. It can sound good. But if it doesn't correlate with the word of God, I'm out. Because it needs to be scriptural. So we need to learn how to educate ourselves and to spiritually grow so that we can train and teach people. So let's enter our misfits. We're going to talk about two misfits this morning. We're going to talk about Isaiah the prophet. He was a strong leader, a man of God, prophet during some very hard times, over multiple kings. He had a, a, his common theme throughout his book was judgment. That sounds great. You're really popular when, you're, when one of your main topics is judgment, by the way. Uh, hope and the coming king, Jesus. So that's the first one that we're, we're going to kind of correlate into our, our talking points over the next uh, 15 minutes. And, and the second one is this, Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther is, it's, it's interesting. So not Martin Luther King, not, the, not, not, not marching for, you know, freedom here. Um, but he was also for freedom just in the 1500s. And, and Martin Luther, um, so kind of like a little bit of background on him is, so he was part of the, the Roman Catholic Church, right? And he, his goal was never to leave the Catholic Church. Like he loved the Catholic Church. He saw things wrong within the Catholic Church. He was like, this doesn't settle with me. So Martin Luther didn't, you know, he came from uh, uh, Germany and, and a family, and they sent him to school, uh, I think to a private uh, Christian school or Catholic school or something like that. He was really, really smart. He went to law school, and then he had this moment where uh, he needed God's hand, and he cried out to one of the saints and said, if you save me, God, I will devote my life as a monk. And he got saved through that, and so he did that. He, he literally became a monk. He sold everything, went, and went into the monastery, and became a monk. And he was like, I'm going to be the best monk ever. <laughs> he must have been, like, competitive, because he was like, he fasted and prayed and, and studied God's word, and yet he found not a whole lot of um, purpose in all of that. It was just like, okay, I'm going through the motions, but how many ever felt that way? Man, I'm just going through the motions. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not. There's something inside of me that is missing to the core of who I am. And so he sees this, and then uh, they, uh, the, the Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic Church uh, sends him off to become a professor at one of the colleges that they had, and, and so he's teaching, and all along he's watching the Catholic Church and the Catholic religion, and he's going, there are some things that aren't right here. There are some things that, that are completely unbiblical and, and, and wrong in, in, in all of this. And so this isn't a knock against one denomination or another, but this is who Martin Luther was. And so he gets to this place and he writes the 95 Thesis. Okay, and, and what he does is he goes and he nails this on, uh, on the church doors of where he served at. And it was the 95 things that he felt like the church needed to get right. Now, the core of this, the core of what he found to be wrong was uh, the idea that the, well, there are a couple core things. One, he thought that the whole leadership scheme was a little messed up. Secondly, he thought that the way that they were dealing with money was really messed up because they were doing what's called indulgences. And pretty much it was saying this, um, if, if Blake died, bye buddy, sorry, um, you know, Okay, and then Brooke comes and goes, I want to make sure that Blake got to heaven. And I, as the priest, go, well, 
you want to make sure Blake got into heaven, it's going to cost you some money. If you pay me 10 grand, I'll make sure Blake gets into heaven. Anybody see something wrong with that? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Martin Luther's like, he's like, are we, are we kidding ourselves here thinking that we have that kind of power? I never read in the Bible where, you know, for a drop of some green cash, I could make sure that all of you get to heaven. If it was that easy, man, I'll just go take a loan out and go live my life. Here you go, when I die, pay the man. But it's not that easy. And so Martin Luther goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He writes the 95 Thesis and he nails it to the door. He also writes a bunch of other uh, really great things. I would encourage you to go read. Uh, one of them is Address to Nobility of the German Nation. Uh, another one that I read this week is a prelude to uh, a prelude unto Babylon, captivity of the church, and another one was a freedom of, of a Christian. These are great uh, writings of Martin Luther, where he talks about his issues with the church not doing what the Bible says and the Christian life being affected by it. He was a revolutionary. He never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to make it better. He wanted to make it right. And he saw the errors in their teaching, and they, they had become more opinionated than biblically sound. But listen, <laughs> this isn't just an issue that Luther has dealt with. We read it in the Old Testament. They did it. We read it with Jesus' time, and, and, we, and we see it in the modern-day church where we take opinion of pastors or opinion of theology, and, and then we make it something that it never was meant to be in the Bible. Luther was concerned with unchecked power in religion and the view of the priesthood versus the common person in the church. That religion doesn't satisfy your soul, only God can, and true freedom found in Christ and living in such power. That was kind of the core crux of, of Luther's teaching, is that he saw that there was a separation of the pastor, the priest, the uh, laundry list of uh, cardinal and all those things in the Catholic church, right? Um, and the separation between them and everybody else. Matter of fact, it is written in, uh, I don't know if it's still in, in, in Catholic teaching, but uh, back when Luther was, it said that the only person, the only person that could actually interpret the scriptures was the Pope. <laughs> That's some messed up stuff. In essence, the Pope was saying, you're too dumb. You're not smart enough to read these things and understand them. So let me read them for you, and I'll tell you what to believe. It's never in the Bible. Never let a person say that you can't understand Scripture. Because in that sense, none of us can. We need the Holy Spirit and God to speak to us and teach us the true meaning of his word. I want to give you a couple of quotes from Martin Luther real quick, and then we're going to jump into some Scripture and, and a couple of quick points. The first is this. Uh, this is the first quote from Martin Luther. He says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And then he says, a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. These seem like they contradict, but they truly are wholeheartedly the description of what it means to be a believer. I am not bound by any, anybody's opinion of who I am. I am the freest when I know Jesus, but I am also bound by his word to love people and to serve people and to put others before myself. I don't have to do anything, but I choose to live a life that serves people. I love this other thing that he, he said, um, and it's only a partial quote, but I think you'll understand it. It says, but in sacred things, and he was talking about ordination in particular to this, but he said, but in sacred things, I am opposed to the invention of human fiction. 
I love that. In sacred things, I don't need man's opinion. I don't need the, the fiction of man to come in and tell me what to think. He says, nor is it right to give out as divinely instituted what was not divinely instituted. In other words, don't try to make holy what is common, lest we become a laughing stock to our opponents. So many times the church makes rules and makes thoughts and, and, we, and we, we canonize them. In other words, we make them these truths that were never really meant to be. Like I'm sure you've heard pastors preach, oh, alcohol, bad, devil. Ooh. <laughs> Instead of saying, your motive for drinking could be wrong. Bible never says that drinking is bad. Matter of fact, it doesn't even say for leaders drinking is bad. Yet we definitely made it that. Instead of saying your motive for that, what's your motive? In that sense, we don't also talk about overeating, but gluttony is in the Bible. But we don't, we don't hit that part because that's not like a major sin. It's a gluttony. Or gossip. Gossip is, is, is more common than murder. We kill people with our mouths. Matter of fact, Jesus says that a man who thinks a thought in his head and doesn't correct it, it's like doing the deed itself. So every time you gossip, every time you think evil thoughts, every, every time you allow hatred to, to sit in your life, you are, you are sinning just as much as the person that goes out and does it because we're not correcting our lives. And he says, let's not make sacred what isn't sacred, and let's not be a laughing stock to the world because we're making a whole bunch of rules that don't need to be there. So I want to read Isaiah 1, 11 through 20, and it's going to jump off, and I've got literally that, my intro is more of the, the message than anything. <laughs> let's read Isaiah 1, 11 through 20, because this is going to kind of set the, the, the tone for these thoughts. It says, what makes you think I want your, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Okay. Isaiah 1, 11 through 20. And it's, he's, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgusts me. These are some harsh words from God. As your celebration of the new moon and Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Through you, through Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourself and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. Ding! <laughs> Mic drop. That, that, like, that's what I got to, like, when y'all think of Jesus as this, like, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that skips through the flowers, read that scripture again. 
I hate your church meetings, your pious meetings. I hate your, your form of worship that satisfies you but doesn't actually have anything to do with me. This is God speaking to the Jewish people saying, all of your, your religious festivals, all of your religious things, your, your, your giving of the, the sacrifice, oh, we sacrifice all these things to you, God, for the goodness. Shut up. Your sacrifices suck. And not in those words, but in those words. Though you offer many prayers, I won't listen. But wait a minute, God's word says that he's near to us and that he hears us. Yes, when we are in right relationship with him. We can't just expect him to do what we want. He is not a genie. So what do we learn from this crazy set of scriptures? And could you imagine having to be the prophet that delivers this to people? Don't kill the messenger. Could you guys, I got a message from God. I almost want to be like Jonah. Nope, I'm running. I'd rather be in the mouth of a well. I'm not giving that out. But he goes and, and he gives. And listen, most of the first part of Isaiah is, is this whole like judgment against Israel and Jewish and Judah and, and, and all. And like, they're like, listen, you're doing wrong. You need to be doing right. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. The Assyrian army is going to come and take you over. And if you don't, then the Babylonian army is going to come and take you over, which, by the way, all happened because they didn't listen. So what do we learn? We learn this from Isaiah, judgment and hope. Listen, the whole first part of that is judgment. It's like your church sucks, your worship sucks, I hate you, your heart is horrible, like I can't stand you in my sight. I didn't write it, so take it up with God. You know, it's, it's like coming into church and just being like, I don't care about God. I'm here just to check my bookmark off, you know, you know dragging in the, the cooler with 40-ounce bottles and, and just doing whatever you want, you know, kicking up, you know. <sighs> I'm here, though. Hey, God, you got to love me. I'm sacrificing an hour and a half of my time. It's like, I can't stand you. You think that you're good just because you show up? You think that you're good just because you stand during some songs? This is how I see God in my head. If you ever wonder what kind of relationship me and God have, it's that. Like, he tells me, like, this is how I would rather God speak to me. I don't want God to be like, oh, you're doing pretty good, Scott. If we could just maybe tweak a little thing. No, I want him to be like, bro, you suck right now. Let's get your act together. Because I learn better that way. And so I ask God, like, speak to me real. Like, I want you to speak to me like you spoke through Isaiah because I need to know that when I'm just going through the motions and not actually doing stuff in life that matters, I don't want to just go through the motions because that's what God wants me. God doesn't want you to go through the motions. God wants realness. And so when you are going through it and it's really tough and your spiritual life is tough, he wants you to go to him and say, God, I can't, I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I feel far from you. Man, I remember when I was 19 years old and uh, I was going, I was leading a youth group, okay, that most of the youth group was 16 and 17 years old. I was 19. I was barely older than him. And I would have to prepare messages every week and all this stuff. And I remember, I, was, I, was, I felt so far from God. But every week, I'd write my little message, and I'd preach my little message, and people would be like, oh, man, Pastor Scott, that's okay. Okay, whatever, I don't feel it. I remember they would leave every Wednesday, and I'd, I'd just cry out at the altar, God, why is it that I can prepare these messages, but I don't feel them? I feel far from you. But every day, I would, I would just lean into God and say, God, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not leaving, but I don't feel it. 
And I know I'm not the only one that's ever felt that way. And, and so many times it, it, we, we stop right before that breaking point of God saying, I hear you, my child. You had to walk through this so you could learn something. And the Israelites, they were walking through it and, and they were choosing to walk in sin instead of pushing through in their life. And, and, and that's what is, uh, Isaiah comes in and he goes, listen, you're doing it wrong. You're just trying to go through the motions and that's not what God wants. And here's the judgment. If you don't change your ways, there's going to be some armies that come in and they're going to beat you up. If you don't listen to God, he's going to make you circle around. When Moses left Egypt, it wasn't that far to the milk and honey. They got to the very edge of, of the land where they were supposed to take over and they got scared and, and they said, we can't do it. So God said, okay, fine, go out in the desert and do your thing. You know, they were in there for 40 years. <laughs> Circled back around right back to the same place. You will go through things in your life just to circle back to where God wants you. The question is, are we going to learn it like the first time or are we going to circle back? But there's hope always in there. The whole first part is, man, these things that you think that you're doing right, that you're just going through the motions, I don't really like, but if you turn from your sin, if you choose to follow me, we're going to make this right. We're going to live the life that you have been called to. This is a key theme of Isaiah's writing, warning of living apart from the truth of God and what it will bring in consequence, yet hope for the purpose and plan of God in the life of the follower that turns and commits to God's ways. Both Isaiah and Martin Luther speak of this a bunch. Judgment because God is holy and cannot stand sin. I want you to hear this. If you get nothing else out of today. I don't normally, you know, I'm not a big like preach on sin type person, but sin is important to hear about. We cannot think as Christians that God is okay with my sin. God is holy therefore cannot and will not be okay with the sin in our life, ever. The grace of Jesus covers our sin when we choose to live for him and turn from our sin. Sometimes it's overnight, sometimes it's through a process. But it's turning from those sinful ways and correcting it because the hope is that a repentant heart changes everything. I am sorry and I no longer will do it. We tell our kids all the time, sorry means nothing if there's not action change, right? How many, would you, how many accept a sorry for the same thing over and over and over again, over and over? I didn't mean to talk to you like that. I'm sorry. That's the 10th time today you said that. I'm sorry that I forgot to do this. Yeah, you, nothing new. To where you begin to expect the action not to be done and the sorry to follow, and it loses its value. Sorry only means sorry if there is an action of change. And Jesus says the same thing. If you're going to come to me and say you're sorry for your sin, make sure there's an action change connected to it. The second thing that we learn from Isaiah and Luther is this. Moral character and conduct over religious activity. Oh, I love this part. God could care less about your religious activity and more about your moral conduct. He doesn't care. Listen, Old Testament, they had to live a certain way and they, you know, they prayed three times a day and, and, and there was this action that showed that they were committed. Now, 
our character and our conduct is over religious activity. It doesn't mean that religious activity goes away. Fasting is still important. Prayer is still super important. Studying God's word is still super important. But it now it, is, it resonates in the heart of man to live it out and to have character that looks like Jesus. The whole point of the scripture here in Isaiah, that we should not be satisfied with coming to church one day a week. We shouldn't be satisfied with worship just being 15 minutes of our weekly life. And I said this last week a little bit, and, you know, about worship. Is that, that our, our character and our conduct is way more important than what we do for an hour and a half or if you go to a life group or, you know, oh, we have a special event. The religious activities are on top of and what, what makes our religious activity powerful and special is what we do on a daily basis. It's that personal relationship with Jesus that makes these moments super special. It does not matter what you do on the outside if the inside is not right in the sight of God. Listen, I'm I'm just pulling out all the scriptures that just sound harsh today, so, so just bear with me. Matthew 23, 27, this is Jesus speaking. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Jesus threw no light punches there. Anybody ever been to New Orleans? Uh, You've seen, you know, they don't don't have like um, underground caskets. All of their stuff is like, because they'll they'll float away. Um, Yeah, those things. Um, They're beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, probably eerie at night. I, the fact that they do like walkthrough tours at night is just beyond. I, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm out. I'm not doing it. This is disrespectful. And so I'm just not going to do it. But could you imagine? Could you imagine? They look so beautiful, but all there is is dead man's bones in there. And this is what he tells the teachers you, you pious teachers. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones because you're teaching a belief system and an opinion instead of the word of God. And we've got to realize that our lives are more than just going through the motions. There is no Christian elitism. We are all bound by the same truths and the same purposes. How you live is more important than who you are. I want you to catch that. How you live. It's more important than who you are. Because at the end of the day, how you live will define really what people think of you. I could say all day long, whatever I want about myself. But how I live will tell you what I really am and what you really think of me. The third thing is this, is that, um, <laughs> and really this could be a whole conversation that I love to have with people. Cultural secularism versus biblical lifestyle. What? I know. This is what Isaiah was fighting, okay? Cultural secularism versus a godly lifestyle. But really, it was nothing new because Moses fought it, David fought it, Jesus fought it, the apostles fought it, Luther fought it, and we see it in the church. We're fighting it today. That cultural secularism, it floods into the church, and we go, well, let's just be relevant to the point where we lose the power and the purpose of the truth of God. 
the culture to which we live in doesn't get to define the God we believe in or for. So just because culture says it's okay doesn't mean that it's biblical. What did, what did Paul say? He said, all things may be lawful for me, but not all things are good for me. So the argument of, well, it's, it's legal, Pastor Scott, doesn't matter. Is it good for you? There's a lot of things that are, that listen, that the FDA or FDC or some alphabetic soup, you know, tells you that's good for your food. That isn't. There's a you know, yellow number five. I haven't seen a yellow number five plant. I just, <laughs> where did the melting crayons and putting it into our food? What are they doing? <laughs> I, I mean, think about, I mean, just uh, listen, I love sugar. My body loves sugar, okay? Take away sugar. Our bodies are like crack fiends, like, where's the sugar? <laughs> Trust me, I am like, I am, right now, I, I've, I've been doing keto again, and, and, and yeah, my body's like, you know, it's like, it, listen, I'm like, I'm a fiend. I'm over here like, oh, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper. We went out to eat. What would you like? I, I, like it was hard to even unsweet tea. Like, ex- ew, exactly. Like, ugh. Can I get like dirt colored water? <laughs> because listen, because, because they know what they're doing when they put that stuff in our, in our, in our food. It literally is a drug. It literally is a, a craving that we crave. And listen, it's, it's everything. And so what happens is, is culturally we get inept to the cravings of life. Oh, if I just put it in front of you enough, you'll think that it's okay. If I just scream it loudly enough, you'll think that it's the majority. You know, most of the things that we hear are not the majority, it's the minority. It's, it's a small group screaming really loud. And we go, oh, well, everybody else believes it. And we get to the word of God, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hmm. I'll go back to Romans 12, 2, which I preached on last week. It says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My job is not to be conformed and look like everybody else, but to allow the word of God to to get into my brain and to get into my life to the point to where it directs every aspect of my life. Do not allow cultural secularism, cultural relativity to define your life. I'll preach that till I die. I don't care. Because (laughs) what happens when all of a sudden we start to go, well, the purge is real. I mean, we may joke about it, you know, oh man, it'd be nice to have a purge, you know what I mean? Like, but what happens when that's real? Well, it's legal for today, Pastor Scott, it's just murdering when it's okay. <laughs> all things may be lawful for me, but not all things are right. So I will preach things that don't culturally sound right. And if I sound old-fashioned, that's just the Bible in me coming out. Because I'm not going to bow to a cultural God. And this is what would happen so many times in the Old Testament. Oh, just bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, just bow down to this king. Oh, just just, just, just this moment, just this little thing. It's, it's not a big deal. But one little thing turns to another little thing. The next thing you know, you are culturally lost because you look like everybody else. And Jesus is going, wait a minute, what happened? I'm telling you, if you're not founded in God's word, you won't know what to believe. Someone's opinion of scripture is not more powerful or important than the truth of scripture itself. Hear that, live that, believe that. 
the church is. I'll tell you what, I've got one more point, but I just want to sit here for just a second, just because I think it's important because we're seeing it very much now in the church. Not our church. I really don't think so um, because I will, I will have that conversation with you if you want. But in a lot of churches, matter of fact, I was watching a video last night about um, the Southern Baptist uh, Committee or church or whatever they're, I forget what the C stands for. SBC, okay? They're the largest denomination outside of the Catholic Church in, in the Western culture, okay? And I'm not knocking them. I know a lot of friends that are Baptists, okay? But they are passing, which don't get me started on the whole passing of things and voting on things and committees, which, by the way, if you ever want to know what a, um, maybe you shouldn't say that. Um, listen, you know what a group of buzzards is? It's a committee, that's what it's called. Like, I'm not making this thing up. A group of buzzards is called a committee. If we ever want something to die in the church, let's get a committee going, okay? Because this is what, listen, I've got good friends in the Baptist church. They couldn't, they can't hire pastors because the two committees can't work together. And what happens in the SBC right now is they are voting on things more culturally than biblically. I watch them vote on something that shouldn't be in the church, And because the majority don't have a foundational scriptural understanding of what they're voting on, they just go, okay, I, can we move on to like the food afterwards? Because that's what we're all here for. If we don't know our, our word, if we don't know the Bible, then we will vote and we will allow things into our life that we're never meant to be. We will, will negate the truth for what feels good. What sounds right? What what is okay? Uh, they they voted on a a um, you could look it up. It's no it's nothing. They're not hiding it. They voted on uh, a what sounded like a racial positive because most of them aren't learned to what is actually being pushed in it. And so and and man, I hate to even like open up this can of worms because I you know don't at me. But critical race theory. Okay, critical race theory at its core is really unbiblical. It really is. I'm not saying that there aren't core like things in there that you can learn from, but in its entirety, it doesn't sit well with with Christian belief system because we don't see race. If a Christian is racist, they're not a Christian. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say to that. If you can look at somebody's skin and hate them, you don't know Jesus very well. <laughs> will really hate you. Um, if you can look at somebody's skin and hate them, you hate Jesus. He was not white. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> We're going to get really up to heaven and be like, oh my God. <laughs> We're all going to be purple or something. Like, that's what I'm expecting. Like, you know what I mean? That, that, there's going to be a color that we don't even know of, and he's going to be like, look at you fools, <laughs> and y'all fought about color on earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the problem is, is that as a church, then to make us sound right, we go, ooh, 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 let's pander to a side. Oh, yes, let's vote this all in. And we don't realize what we're voting into the church and the truth that we're not speaking, which is Jesus is okay with everybody, and the church doesn't need to pick a side. We just love people. And if we do that, we're going to be good. I don't need critical race theory. I don't need NASCAR race theory. And I definitely don't need any other race theory in my church. I just need you to understand that if you love Jesus, you're going to love people. It doesn't mean you have to like them all. 
just means you have to love them all. You don't have to be best friends with everybody. You just have to love them enough to want them to know Jesus. Lastly, get off my soapbox. This is why I can't do denominations. <laughs> I'd be voted out real quick. <laughs> the last one is this, and it is the core of what Isaiah and Luther were at. Be willing to be used. Be willing to be used. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. One of my favorite verses of, of Isaiah says, it was in the year of uh, the king Uzziah, Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is, this is a, uh, a vision that Isaiah saw that was directly impacted to him. He said, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphims, angels, each having six wings. I want wings when I get to heaven. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their, voice, their voices shook the temple to its foundation. And the entire building was filled with smoke. We are holy with a smoke machine. Ha! Um, <laughs> just saying. Okay? Even when it overreacts and, and fills the room. It filled the room with smoke. Okay? <laughs> Then I said, listen, this is Isaiah's response to a holy moment with Jesus. He says, it's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? By the way, Trinity, who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. This isn't a call to ministry from a hierarchy like, oh, well, I'm not a pastor or a ministry leader or a missionary or worship leader. This is the call to any person who wants to follow Jesus. That God says, who will go for me in the day and age that you live? And Isaiah's response should be all of our responses. God, I'll go. I'll go to my friend groups. I'll go to my school. I'll go to my work. I'll, I'll go to my family. And I will be the representation of your goodness and your love. So I, I put these three things down. If we do these three things, man, our life will be fantastic. You need to repent. You need to have a reckoning that your sin keeps you from God. Even at that, I can, can I tell you that when I say that, I know there's parts of me that go, but God, I'm a pretty good guy. And he goes, but even your goodness is wretched in my eyes. We need to recognize that our sin holds us back from the goodness of God. We need to respond who will go? How will you live your life? Will you go for me? Will you live on behalf of a, a spiritual belief system that transcends just a book and goes into your life? And will you respond to the world that needs to hear about the love of Jesus? And I, can I tell you that the last one that I wrote down, I think, is, is the hardest. Be resolute. Don't back down. Be a revolutionary. Maybe you need to write out your 95 thesis and you don't need 95 things and don't come nail them to the church door. You got issues with the church, just come talk to me. Don't, don't damage our building. I'm pretty good. But maybe you need personally, what are the things in your life that you look at and you go, man, I just want to change. You need to write them down and staple them somewhere. Maybe you need to write them on a mirror so that when you wake up in the morning, you go, hmm, I remember that. 
today I'm going to do that. Today I'm not going to do that. Today I'm going I'm to keep my, my word in doing this. Maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone and it says, prayer, Bible reading, time with Jesus, whatever it needs to be, worship. So, you know, go throw some worship on and just, hey, I'm going to take 15 minutes and just, we don't need to be monks. But we need to have time with him. We need to be resolute. That way when, when we're faced with the person that we just want to sock in the face and yell and scream and cuss at, that we don't. The Bible calls us one body with different purposes and not one person is more important than the, uh, another, but we must play our part in the world that we live. I'll end with the scripture. And Sharice, you can go ahead and come up. 1 Peter 2.9. He's talking to you. I want you to understand that when I read this, he's talking to you. He's not talking at you. He's not talking to another group of people. Listen, if you have to, put your name, for you are a chosen people. Craig, you're not like anyone else. You're my chosen person. That hits differently when you hear God say that. But Hannah, you're not like anybody. I, I made nobody else like you my chosen daughter. Sometimes we need to read the scripture with our name in it because that's how he wanted us to hear it. Because when we just read, but you, oh, who's you? Anybody could be you. Scott, I made you for a purpose. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Oh, that makes me feel good. Now here's the flip side of that. Your purpose in being his is this. As a result, you can now show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You don't need a pastor. I like being your pastor. I'm not going nowhere. But you don't need me to get to heaven. You don't need me to have spiritual strength. Matter of fact, I would, I would go as far as to say this, that if it's just me, you will fail. If I am your only connection to moments with Jesus, you are going to fail. Because I didn't write this about you. See, I, I didn't knit you in your mother's womb. I didn't know you before time began. My purpose is to speak God's truth, to encourage, to equip, to challenge, and to change, and to run it in life with you. That is my goal. That is my purpose. That's what I find passion in. It's to do everything I can while I'm here on earth to grow a group of people that will live for Jesus and love Jesus and do life and have fun and play cornhole and barbecue together and, and do church together. Not just go through the motions, but actually like and enjoy being around each other. But if I'm the only connection you have to Jesus and you're missing it because I did not call you my own, he did. He called you a priest. See, this was one of Luther's biggest points is that we are all priests in the house of God. We all have the ability to speak truth, to live truth, and to show the world truth. 
I'm gonna end with, and it's, it's not up on here, um, a quote from Martin Luther. It says this. Now, mind you, 1500s, okay? So just when you hear some of these words and you go, what the heck is that? Understandable. A cobbler, I think of pie, by the way. Peach cobbler, mm, yeah, amen. It's not what he's talking about. A cobbler, a smith, a peasant. Every man has the office and function of his calling. What he's saying right there is everybody has a job. Everybody works. Everybody has a purpose in what they do for a living. And yet, all alike are consecrated priests and bishops, and every man should, by his office or function, be useful and beneficial to the rest, so that various kinds of work may all be united for the furtherance of body and soul, and just as members of the body all serve one another. In other words, no matter what you do, we serve the kingdom together. No matter where you go tomorrow, you show God's goodness. You live in a way that show God's love. That maybe not tomorrow, but maybe a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, somebody goes, what is it that you got differently? I'll tell you what I got. It's not a perfect life, but I love Jesus and I'm trying my best to do what I can to, to live like him. And, and that's what's different about me. I have the same struggles. I still struggle with bills. I still struggle with my attitude every now and then. I still struggle with, with depression or worry or anxiety. See, none of that goes away when we love Jesus. He just gives us a perspective and a way of handling it. Sometimes Jesus includes other people like a therapist or medicine or friends because you can't do life alone. My goal is to be culturally relevant to the point where people think that church is cool and fun, but not without losing the value of truth. I will never sacrifice truth for, for thumb likes and being popular. I just won't. I will always preach the truth of God. Take that to the bank. May not be always liked, but man, I'm telling you, it's going to encourage you, it's going to equip you, it's going to challenge and change you if you allow it to. Will you pray with me this morning? Maybe after hearing this message, you're like, I, I need to make a commitment to God to be more resolute in my faith. I, I just feel like I need to pray for some people. Maybe you're sitting there, you're like, you know what? Man, I'm resolute in a lot of things. I'm a, I'm a, I got work ethic like nobody's business. I'm a, I'm a great whatever. But when it comes to your spiritual life, there's something lacking because you're not willing to give it your all because of maybe it's fear, maybe it's... You feel like you have to be more, something different than you're not, you have religious mindset or whatever, but you, I'm telling you, if you just be resolute, God, I'm gonna give you my all. I'm gonna spend some time in my word. I'm gonna spend some time praying with you and, and, and talking to you. Prayer is just talking to God. Maybe today, this morning, you're saying, I need, I need prayers, but I, I'm, I'm making a commitment to God to be more resolute in my faith. If that's you, just, I just wanna, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Amen, amen. Amen. God, I pray for those that, that are sitting here and going, I, I, I want to be more in, more committed to this thing called faith, more committed to who you are in my life, Jesus. God, we know it's hard. We know it's not easy. Matter of fact, that is the, the thing that makes misfits misfits is that they're not, 
they're not willing to, to sacrifice a core belief on the altar of popularity to just go with what everybody else has. God, I pray that the church would always defend against being liked over truth. God, I pray for your people today that we would rise up and we would trust in the truth of God. We would know your word. God, that your word says, your word says that we should eat of your word and we should meditate on it and that we should know it. So God, put your truth in us that we would know how to answer the questions and, and, and walk through life and have a source of hope in us. When somebody's going through a tough time or somebody's going down a wrong road that we may be able in love to be able to correct and guide them back to you. God, encourage us, challenge us this week to open up doors that we may be able to speak of your goodness and to speak of your life and to, and to show and point people to a God that we absolutely love, not just a religious ceremony, not just a religious mindset, but God, a true, real relationship with you, Father. I bless our people. God, I pray that they would have a great week and they would go and make you known in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 